Welcome back to the Knowledge Podcast by Wahoo. I'm Jeff Hubler. And I'm Matt Kassam. Before we dive into this episode, close your eyes if you can. Obviously, if you're driving or riding, you can't close your eyes. Now focus on your neck, your shoulders, your ribcage, and now take nice deep breaths in and out. So in, out, in, out. Now, did you notice that your shoulders and ribcage were moving up and down? If the answer is yes, this is the perfect episode for you. Right. What Mac means is we're going to discuss breathing techniques and how they might be able to improve your performance. There's a lot of different types of breathing techniques aimed at different objectives. Some are meant to help you calm down and relax. Some are to rev you up and get you ready for a big effort. Some are to help you focus. Some to help you be a better scuba diver and probably the most notable to help you ride and or run faster. So no matter what technique you employ, you're working with your airways and lungs to deliver oxygen to your bloodstream and remove carbon dioxide. So to, to continue the, the deeper dive on the exact mechanics here, let's look at the primary structures in breathing. Obviously, that's your lungs. I think most people get that. You have right and left lobes. That's not ear lobes though, right? Most people do have two of those. Okay. But they also have right and left lobes for their lungs. Sorry about that. Back at it. So you have your trachea or windpipe, which goes from your nose and mouth into your bronchi, or the two main branches that go to each lobe. Then you have smaller branches from there called branchioles, and those lead to tiny little air sacs called alveoli. So to get a picture of this, think of this being similar to the leaves on a tree. You have big branches leading to smaller branches, into even smaller branches, and then eventually to the leaves. And this is where the oxygen and carbon dioxide are exchanged. That's the plumbing or gas exchange of how we move the air. It's also interesting to note that on those, those alveoli are wrapped in little capillaries like you have going into your muscles. But unlike the capillaries in your muscles, which you can produce more of through training, you're set with the amount of capillaries through your alveoli. So there are some very rare instances of some very, very high-level athletes who the limiter when they get to max is not actually the capillaries at their muscles, but it's the capillaries at their lungs. You have to be kind of amazing world-class to do that, but I just find it a really interesting fact. Yeah, it is interesting. So we use, to, to breathe here, so we use a combination of pressure changes and muscles to facilitate the movement of the air into and out of the lungs. By changing the space of the volume that the lungs can expand into, you're able to change the air pressure inside your body. So let's talk a little bit about the mechanics and, and how that works. Yeah, so your breathing muscles are composed of fatigue-resistant muscles controlled by voluntary and involuntary actions. So that means there are some times when, you know, naturally you don't have to think about breathing. Your body will do it. Thank goodness. <laughs> and, that there are times, and that there are times that you can actively take a much bigger breath, Exhale much harder, hold your breath. So at the bottom of your chest or abdominal cavity, just above your stomach, sits your diaphragm. And this is the main muscle responsible for breathing. And diaphragm, that term is used for a lot of other things when it involves pushing air mechanically. So you get an idea that it's an important, important thing. Your diaphragm is an interestingly shaped muscle. It's kind of like an umbrella. Give us a little more info on that. Yeah, so when it, your diaphragm is kind of like an umbrella-shaped muscle. When it contracts, it flattens out, so moves down. That creates negative pressure or lower pressure in your lungs, which draws air in. Right. Now, so again, that moving down, you increase the volume of your thoracic cavity, lowers the pressure, 
lungs fill with nair actually just from that pressure differential. Right. And as your diaphragm relaxes, it presses upward, closing that umbrella and decreasing the volume of your thoracic cavity, increasing pressure, forcing the air out of your lungs during an exhalation. So relaxed, normal expiration is a passive process, and it happens because of the elastic recoil of the lungs and surface tension. And when you are doing more relaxed breathing, there's essentially a segment of air at the bottom of your lungs that never actually gets out because you're not fully contracting the airspace. So there's a dead space of essentially air that just kind of sits in there, which can become problematic when you're exercising and want to do that exchange of oxygen and CO2. If some of it just stays in there, it's not changing. Right, right. And so interestingly, your diaphragm is not the only muscle that's involved in breathing. There are other accessory muscles that facilitate inhalation, including sternocleidomastoid, which is the big one on the outside of your neck, scalenes, which are kind of right along your neck, the pec major, chest muscles, um, serratus anterior, your lats, your serratus posterior superior. You may be saying, where the heck are these? But essentially, essentially any muscle that's attached to your thoracic cage can play a part in breathing. You can use all of these muscles to create more space for your lungs to expand. So at the start of the episode, if you noticed that your shoulders and ribcage were bobbing up and down, those are the muscles that we're talking about here. You breathe in, shoulders go up. It's kind of trying to produce room from the top. Now, and that's not necessarily the best way to go about it. We'll get into that later. But first, let's cover the accessory muscles that facilitate the exhalation of breath. And these are the abdominal muscles, rectus abdominis, internal external obliques, transverse abdominis, as well as some other muscles in the thoracolumbar area, the iliocostalis, the serratus posterior inferior, and the quadratus laborum. I remember that one from anatomy lab for some reason. It always just stuck in my head. <laughs> it's right down there at the bottom of your ribcage. Um, and by engaging these muscles, you're essentially compressing your thoracic cavity. You're trying to make it smaller. That increases the pressure in your lungs. So the outside air is at a lower pressure, and that's what pushes the air out. Now, that becomes very important with exercise because, like we said, there's dead space there that if you don't push out as much as possible, you're essentially just have wasted lung space that isn't being used effectively. And as you mentioned earlier, and we did this right at the beginning, um, unfortunately, most people don't breathe efficiently. We're not going to say you're breathing wrong because you're still breathing, and that's good. But you're just not breathing right. You're not breathing as efficiently as you could, right? And most people, when you say take a deep breath, they breathe up or vertically instead of out or horizontally. Actually, it's cylindrically because it's a, it's a big cylinder. And this seems to have to do a lot with excessive sitting, which tends to begin when you start school. Yeah, it's it's interesting because kids and animals breathe properly. When you're you see a lot of little kids at the playground, they've got their bellies fully extended out because they're they're breathing naturally. I think part of it is the sitting down. I also think there's at least in some cultures, specifically America, it doesn't look great to have a belly sticking out. So people will subconsciously kind of, you know, suck it in at all times. And when you're quote unquote sucking it in all the time, you're not expanding those muscles appropriately. You're keeping them in a specific contraction that just your muscles just learn to that, oh no, I'm not supposed to be part of the breathing process. Right. So it can actually be really difficult to break. And I remember when I first got into doing specific breathing exercises in like 2011, I was shocked at how much more 
space I felt like I had to breathe when I started doing belly breathing. I had to do a bunch of pressure release foam rolling stuff on my abdomen and stretching to get there, but the difference it makes was really significant to me. It's okay to have your belly out. Okay, so... Jeff is just saying that because he can do some pretty nifty tricks with his abdomen, like yeah, the wave. Good, and, yeah, yeah. It's a good thing we're not on video here. We've been talking about different aspects, and, and you're probably interested in how can I change this, right? So if you're breathing inefficiently, you can change that. But just like anything else, you have to practice. So And you have to practice doing it right. We all have plenty of practice breathing up to this point. Right, right. Well, we're going to do an exercise here. So unless you're driving or doing, you know, on your bike or whatever, if you're sitting still, just work with me here. You can keep your eyes open or you can close them. We're going to start here. We're going to just take a deep breath into your belly. Let it expand. Exhale. Repeat. Okay? So that's not too much different than what you're doing generally just with breathing, but it's intentional. Take your hands and put them on the side of your rib cage, right? Just at the bottom. Take another big inhale. See if you can feel those ribs expanding outward and then let it relax. So movement here is is key. You were talking about how you had to foam roll some of that area just to get in contact with it. So, you know, putting your hands there is a really good proprioceptive way to start to facilitate this this movement that we want. So we're going to just progress that by trying to get your ribs to expand outward cylindrically, okay? And it may take a long time, or it may take, you know, several days, rather, to, to get them to move, just because we haven't been doing it. And then you're just going to practice this. And the beauty is you can practice it anywhere. You can do it while you're driving, you can do it while you're riding, you can do it while you're working, et cetera, et cetera. And if you find that you're struggling with that expanding your rib cage while you're breathing, you know, there are a series of muscles, the intercostals that keep your rib cage clamped. And if you haven't been breathing like that normally, those can be really tight. And I think a really good test for that is if you can push on the space between your ribs and it either for some people it tickles, some people it hurts quite a bit. If you're one of those people, it means that those muscles themselves are are tight. They're tight. So they need you'll need more time to get those to expand. And it, again, it just takes some patience. Your body naturally is designed to use them for breathing. You just need to remind it that yeah, that's exactly. what those are for. Exactly. And the more they move, the more fluid uh, those muscles are going to be. And so really the, any method you then get into for a breathing technique is referred to as respiratory muscle training. There are a few different types of it, but it's basically any type of activity you do that actively works on either the muscles responsible for inhalation or exhalation. And just like any other muscles, you can train them to fatigue slower, to last longer. You know, they require oxygen just like your legs do. And it's actually interesting if you put people on a restricted breathing tube during a VO2 max test, their VO2 max is usually higher because their respiratory muscles are having to work harder. People who are really fit and that's like an average people. People who are really fit don't have that same increase in VO2 max because their diaphragm muscles, their whole, all their respiratory muscles are already well vasculated. They're active when they're going hard, so they don't see that difference. So not that you ever want to go into a lab and be basically breathing through a straw for a VO2 max test, but that's kind of a giveaway that you don't have that. Or if you get like side stitches a bunch, or if you're, I know it used to be in the when I would start doing my first hard efforts in the winter again before 2011 when I had my breakthrough 
the first hard long effort, my abs would just be killing me. Yeah. And it's because I wasn't using them appropriately. I all of a sudden asked them to go really hard and they hadn't been working properly because I hadn't been taking proper full breaths when I was doing base training. Yeah, it's really interesting. And um, several people that I've worked with to try to facilitate this expansion, especially through the lower rib cage, will often feel this almost cramping sensation. And they're like, oh, no, and like, yeah, that's good. Those guys are working now. And we want that. And, and pretty soon as you condition those muscles, they'll, 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 you know, adapt, right? So if we transition into some of these breathing techniques, Probably the most familiar breathing technique is diaphragmatic breathing or belly breathing, which is focused on expanding through the midsection, you know, relaxing through the stomach area to allow expansion in the belly. It's probably the most well-known breathing technique and it's used by riders around the world. You know, if you're, if you're watching a pro bike race and you think, wow, that guy's a little chubby, look at his belly. He's probably doing some belly breathing, right? He's creating more space to move air in and out. Yeah, just like the rest of your muscles, you can get more flexible, get more movement out of them. If you can properly train your, especially your diaphragm, you can expand it a bit more. You can make, give yourself stronger breaths by increasing that change in volume of your thoracic cavity. So getting your diaphragm nice and limber. Right. And one thing uh, that we may have kind of glossed over a little bit is your, your breathing is very much tied to your nervous system, your autonomic nervous system. So you can influence that nervous system, influence your parasympathetic or sympathetic nervous system uh, with, with breathing. And there's a particular type of breathing called box breathing. It's a breathing technique that's used to help one focus, often used by the Navy SEALs, and you essentially inhale for a five count, you hold for a five count, exhale for a five count, wait for five, and repeat. And, um, you know, this just, it's really helpful to focus. And, you know, there's some other, there's some other techniques here. Yeah. So like that whole, you can kind of get sympathetic or parasympathetic activation just by how you're breathing. Again, it's an, it's an active breathing is an active thing that you can control, but it's so tied to your autonomic nervous system because your body wants to be doing it, that you kind of get this reverse feedback loop, which I find really fascinating. But well, hold that thought right there. If you're, <laughs> you walk around the corner and there's somebody there that you don't expect and you're scared, you go, <gasps> And it's a quick inhale. That's going to ramp that nerve, that sympathetic nervous system up, right? And somebody says, hey, relax. Ah, let it out, right? We're in, elongating that exhale, which is your parasympathetic. And again, depending on what you're about to do, if you see a lot of times like Olympic weightlifters or even just regular CrossFit lifters or, or track cyclists before they do a hard effort, they'll do some very hard, rapid inhales and exhales. And it's to get that sympathetic response. And same thing, if you're freaking out and need to calm down, like on a start ramp of a TT when you're in a leader's jersey, you can see those guys taking real big, deep, calm breaths to try and calm their nerves so they don't go out way too hot. Have you ever seen anybody put a bag, like the old paper bag? Not, not in, no, I have not. Is that? No, I haven't either. I just thought it'd be interesting. Okay. Anyway, well, moving on. That gets into a whole other realm of 
if you breathe into a bag a lot, the CO2 concentration goes up and then it that has all sort of cascades. And basically just don't, probably don't breathe into a bag. Unless yeah. you- Let's skip that part. Take that out of there, Ed. So there's another type of breathing technique called decompression breathing. And this is a structural technique uh, made popular by Dr. Eric Goodman, um, who started foundation training. And this is essentially expanding and lifting the thoracic cage. Now, I know we said, hey, that's not necessarily the right way to breathe. But for this purpose, what we're trying to use or do is use breathing for structural stabilization, right? So expanding and lifting the thoracic cage as you engage your lower abdominal muscles in a cylindrical pattern to stabilize the spine. So not necessarily for performance, but for structural stability and integrity. Yeah, that's a good one. Jeff had me start doing that when ever you're driving, you're at a red light, just straighten up and do these, some of these breathing exercises. It's pretty amazing just these simple things that can help. You know, one of the biggest things I think that you'll notice that when you do that is posture changes, right? You, uh, most, most of us tend to be rolled forward, spending too much time at a desk or on a bike or in the car or whatever, and our shoulders are slumped and, and just taking a, a big inhale, opening up, and then gently engaging those abdominal muscles, even as you're exhaling, keeps you uh, in the game, so to speak. And then lastly, when we're talking about respiratory muscle training, we obviously have to talk about the various devices that are out there. Most of them are inspiratory muscle training devices. So they create a large amount of resistance on the inhale, on the expansion factor. Some of them only create resistance on the exhale. So breathing out is difficult. Breathing in is fine. And some of them, the really cheap ones, it's just harder to breathe in and out, which you probably don't need to buy a $70 device to to figure out how to do that. You can just do some of these breathing exercises. For the most part, all of these breathing exercises will help address that same function of harder inhale or harder exhale. Right. And that harder exhale goes back to kind of getting rid of that dead space that we're not exchanging. Would you say? Yeah. And some of this, I actually later found there's a, an inspiratory device I would use for part of my warm up to, again, just get things going. I thought I'm a pretty good athlete. I'll just buy from this one company, the highest resistance one they have, and I'll just slowly progress up it. And I don't think I ever got past, it had like a hundred <laughs> clicks on it. And I don't think I ever got past the second click. Did you turn red? It was, my ears would pop, my nose, it was, but if I found it helpful now, you know, maybe it was a placebo at that point, but it was something you could do, something you can control. Um, there's there's conflicting evidence on how much those help performance. Honestly, I think if you do just these breathing techniques more regularly, get better about belly breathing, you're probably going to get 90% of the benefit of one of these devices. Um, and if you've already been doing all that and want a little bit more, maybe it's worth trying. But it's certainly not going to, that alone isn't going to take you to, to better levels if you don't, if you aren't making the, the space in your belly, if you're not doing these other things to. Right. And you just hit on the big key, right? You're going to have oxygen and carbon dioxide exchange as long as you keep breathing. What we can influence is how much space we have for that gas exchange and the muscles that are that are involved in breathing control that space, right? So by practicing opening that space, 
you're going to increase the volume in the, the exchange. So, it's, so essentially what we're doing is we're trying to increase the space and that's influenced by the muscles that are involved, right? So if we get the space, the gas exchange is going to happen, barring some, you know, physiological disorder. So there's, yeah, there's the strength of the muscles involved and their fatigue resistance, and then there's essentially their flexibility, how big they can get. It doesn't matter if you have the strongest diaphragm on earth, if it only moves like four inches at a time, that's not going to help you in endurance sport too much. One last thing that we'll mention just because it is a pretty significant training technique that, or something to be aware of when training that we've touched on before, but there is a point called ventilatory threshold where as effort increases at a linear rate, initially your breathing rate or breaths per minute increases at the same linear rate. There then becomes an effort above which, which is usually around threshold or a little above threshold where your ventilation rate, so your breaths per minute starts to increase at a faster rate than the continued increase in work. Why is that important? It's because that's when you start to hyperventilate. And so if you're doing a longer sustained effort, be aware of your breathing. And if you start hyperventilating 40 minutes into a six hour day, definitely need to back it off. (laughs) If that's two minutes into a 40 KTT, definitely need to back it off. And with all of these things, people take their largest breaths when they're going really hard, but there's no reason you can't do that when you're going easy. And honestly, you'll see less fatigue to those respiratory muscles if you're breathing 25 times a minute fully than 35 times a minute, but shallow. So on your next ride, even if it's an easy ride, focus on taking basically the biggest breaths you can. Into your belly. Into your belly. And then getting that air out as well, right? Full exhalation. So some of these things, you know, you don't, you can be on the bike and it can, if you're already going to ride for two hours and you're just doing zone two, focus on your breathing the whole time. It gives you something to do. There are some people who've done um, intervals holding their breath. I wouldn't recommend that. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you just really don't <laughs> like someone yourself. holding them up like, so that they didn't fall off? Or? Uh, they've done it on the trainer before, and I know they've done it out on the road before, but it just sounds... We're not recommending that. Yeah. I mean, I've tried it, but yeah. Didn't feel good. Didn't. I don't think it did anything for me other than make me blue at the face a couple times. Well, that's it for another episode. We hope you've been able to take some useful information away from this topic and make yourself a better endurance athlete. Thanks for listening to the Knowledge Podcast by Wahoo. And keep on breathing.